I do believe one of the biggest problems we have in the world today is that people do not think. Many people do not like to think. And they do not even know how to think. Margaret Thatcher, the ex-Prime Minister of Britain, a staunch ally of the United States, once said that the problem today is that people think their emotions are their thoughts. They're thinking with their emotions. Our emotions are not our thoughts. They are quite separate. Too many people are too quick to surrender their own thoughts or their own study to another. And this is incredibly dangerous. So we should be making sure that our thinking is right. And how do we know that, that our thinking is right? Well, is it because somebody on the TV says so? Because a politician says so, God forbid. No, because the Bible shows us and tells us that our thoughts should be upon God of the things of heaven. Over in Psalm 119 and verses 59 and 60, we read these words of King David. I thought on my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. Now understand the biblical thought, the biblical mind is the heart. But when the Bible's talking about the heart, they're not talking about the heart in the way that we think of it as being here in our emotions. It's talking about the intellect, where thought comes from, where reasoning comes from, where searching out the things of the world, the things of God come from. One of the great things in the Bible is its brevity, or ability to say so much in such few words. And I'm absolutely aware that many preachers could learn this but if I was to do a sermon for two minutes you'd probably all get bored really quickly so it's not going to be as brevity as you might think but there's lots to say and lots to do you see the more we study a passage of the Bible the more clearly the truth becomes and we never master the full depths of God's word so after studying a passage for years and years, suddenly truths come forward that you've never seen before. Now many sermons have been preached and volumes have even been written on very brief passages of scripture because there's so much meaning there. There's so much to, to dig out of it. You know, when you look at God's word, try and think of it as those old, those old treasure chests you see in pirates' movies. You know, when they open them up, they're bursting and they never seem to have an end to all the, all the wonderful jewels and all the, all the jewelry in there, all of the gold doubloons and pieces of eight, all the gems and emeralds, all these things. That's exactly what the Bible is like. It's full of treasure, but you have to dig deep. And the more you dig, the more treasure you'll receive out of it. The Bible is truly a unique book. And it shows us how to do very many things. It shows us how to be right with God on his terms. So at the very beginning, the psalmist is saying, I thought on my ways. And notice what he wrote. He wrote, I thought. Too few people do their own thinking, don't they? And the few have always ruled the many and still do. And why is this? It's because the few do the thinking. And we see this manifested in the church as well. A lot of people are just blindly following a few preachers. Many brethren never go to the Bible and study for themselves. They find it simpler to take what someone else says about it. 
And this is something which I always caution people. Do not take what I say as gospel. I'm not Jesus. I'm a trained preacher, I know, but I might get something wrong. I could do, I'm only human. Don't expect perfection in me. Don't expect perfection in the preachers you see on the, in the world. Yes, Joel Olstein has an incredibly wonderful set of teeth that would blind you. But that doesn't mean he knows what he's talking about. Yes, she lives in a home that makes Buckingham Palace and the White House look like an outhouse. But that doesn't mean he knows what he's talking about. The Bible is quite clear. We need to turn to the things of God. We are not to surrender our own thought processes to somebody else. That's what happens in the denominational world. They're told not to read the Bible. Or if they do read the Bible, to read a Bible that has been carefully prepared to suit the doctrines of the men that are talking to them. It's all glory be to them and not glory to God. And you will notice if you look at the denominational preachers online, they're telling people, you're David, you're Moses, you're Jesus, you're great. It's always about building them up in an unrealistic fashion. They preach gospel prosperity. They teach, if you've got lots of money, God blesses you. If you don't have a lot of money, oh, well, you're doing something wrong. What's wrong with you? But that's not what the Bible teaches at all because the real riches in our lives are not the riches of money that go to our hands like sand. It's the riches of God's word. They're priceless. And if you don't think they're priceless now, they'll be priceless on your deathbed. They'll be priceless throughout eternity. True nobility is not found in bloodlines and it's not found in bank accounts. True nobility is spiritual nobility. And spiritual nobility is based upon our studying and thinking for ourselves. In Acts 17 and verse 11, we find a description of this where it says, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica. He's talking about the Bereans. In that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether these things were so. Whether these things were so. I can only imagine the delight of Paul when he realized the people he was teaching were studying the Bible every day for themselves to see if what he was saying was right. You see, if you surrender your thinking to somebody else, they can come along and do your thinking for you. And before you know it, you're enslaved to them. You're following after false doctrines which are bringing glory to them and not glory to God. I attribute much of today's apostasy to a failure of people to do their own studying and their own thinking. I love statistics. And I managed to pronounce the word correctly. Isn't that amazing? We're told that 80%, 80% of the people never really think. I believe that. That 5% really do think. 10% think they think. And the other 50% would rather die than think. Pictures of people panic buying gasoline and pouring the gasoline into bags, be they double bagged or not, is surely a prime example of people who do not think. Now, I don't know whether this is true or not, but I'm pretty sure that too few of us do our own thinking. 
especially when it comes to the Bible. Remember, David said, I thought. And it's true, we must think. But we must be sure that our thinking is in harmony with God's and with God's will. Cain thought just about anything would be all right in service to God. Whatever he was willing to do, that's what he was going to do, and he was sure God would be happy about it. He pitted his thoughts against God's thoughts. In fact, this seems to be a tendency of mankind, does it not? And we need to learn that God's thoughts differ from ours. He values loyalty and obedience. Remember, our feelings are not our thoughts. Our emotions are not our thoughts. And God's thoughts are greater than ours. Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. To further illustrate this biblical truth, let's consider some people who thought service to God would be accepted on what they thought rather than what God thought. There's a man who was known as Naaman. He was a, a Syrian. He was the captain of the, of the host of the king of Syria. And here's a great example. You see, he was a leper. And you'll find it at the account in the book of Judges. And he was told that a prophet of Israel would, could heal him. Finally, when the prophet told Naaman to go and wash in Jordan seven times, and we read of this, actually, we read of this over in 2 Kings 5, verse 10. I'm sorry, not the book of Judges. 2 Kings 5 and verse 10. We're told that Naaman became angry and went away and said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God. Naaman made a mold for God to fit in. He wanted God to fit into what he thought God was. And when God did not do as Naaman thought he should do, Naaman went off and became angry, full of pride. But Naaman had to change his thoughts to harmonize with God's way. You see the example? How many are truly willing to change their thoughts in order to harmonize with God's way? And notice these examples also in Jonah chapter 1. Jonah thought he could run away and hide from God. He didn't get very far, did he? God brought him back and made sure he went through with the mission he was assigned to do, even though he didn't think God was doing the right thing. Over in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 4, the gospel account tells us that Peter thought it would be fine to build three tabernacles. This is the occasion of when the Lord met with Moses and Elisha on the mountain, the transfiguration. And over in Acts 26 and verse 9, Paul said, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. None of these things worked out very well for any of these men, did it? Over in Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 23, the prophet writes, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his step. And over in Proverbs 16:25 we have this. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. 
So from these and many other passages throughout Scripture, it's clear that our thoughts must be guided by something other than man's emotions. Indeed, our intellect. God knows more than we do. We must trust him. God doesn't need us to do second to, to, to think on his behalf. Paul affirms that God's word will pull down strongholds, casting down imagination and every high thing which exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And we find this in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 and 5, and also in Ephesians 6, verse 17. Yes, indeed, our thoughts must be controlled if we are to be acceptable to God. And if we do not control our own thoughts, we're not going to be acceptable to God. Paul said in Philippians 4 and verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue... And if there be any praise, think on these things. Think on these things. These are the things Christians are to think about. The things that are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, of any virtue. We've even got a list right there in the scripture for us to think upon those things. We must exercise mental discipline turn our thoughts away from vain and evil things and look on good, pure, kind, gentle and lovely things. We live in such a beautiful world, do we not? And God has made it that way. It seems odd to me that the mind, the mind of man would rather feed on the rotten than the wholesome. We see this in every newspaper and newscast every day. How many news reports do you see that mention good deeds done? Morally good deeds done by morally good, pe good people? Not many. It's all about fear. That's how they sell things. Fear and hopelessness. But that's not good enough, is it? Many don't want you to think for yourself. They don't want you to study the Bible for yourself, that's for sure. They don't want you to question what you see on television or what you read in the newspapers. I would say question everything. Just trust in God's word. What we find from history is that history is usually, well, it is written by the winners or the people who are the whiners. Either winners or whiners are writing history. What we do know is the word of God is pure. Think upon it. Hope for the future. And to see every misdeed and evil thing done by groups set on destruction. They're not thinking. Or if they are thinking, it's certainly not good thoughts. That which is evil is news. Not so with the good, the pure, and the wholesome. News sells. My friend Alan Cottle used to be a, a reporter for the news channels up in um, Arkansas. Yes, I got it right. For so long I called it Arkansas. I apologize, it's Arkansas. It's Arkansas. And he used to travel around with politicians and interview people. He interviewed a, a lot of people. He told me that the, the person he liked most that he interviewed was a singer called George Jones. Some of you may have known him. 
He also told me who the worst person was, but I'm not going to mention his name. <laughs> he also told me when he realized it was time to get out of the news business was when he went in and he was told by the man who was in charge of it the news was what he said the news was. Not what the news really was, but what he said it was. Because they were creating the news. And he had enough of that. It's not good enough, is it? You find that amongst many preachers too. Amongst many people in the church and outside the church. God's word is what they say it is. Or what they think it is. But that's just not good enough. People sometimes read things into scripture that's just not there. For many years, there were a great many people that thought when the Bible said light should not be yoked with darkness, that that was God's way of saying, hey, apartheid's okay, segregation's okay. You can't have so-called interracial marriage. Do you know what a mixed marriage is according to the Bible? Christian and non-Christian. That's a mixed marriage according to the Bible. I have even heard so-called Christians say, oh, mixed breed, that's the worst kind. There's no such thing as mixed breed. There's human and human. Unless the aliens came and we've got Mr. Spock's going around the place. That's the kind of language that should never come from a Christian. Even among members of the Lord's Church, we see this attitude manifested. How many times has some member called you on the telephone and related some good deed by, done by some other member but how many times has a brother or sister called you and supposedly in confidence, of course, tell you about some sin or some perceived sin committed by some other brother or sister? Such things ought not to be. That is thinking the worst of others. We're to think the best of others. And yes, it can hurt. Things can certainly hurt when you find out things that you wish were not true and turned out to be true. But nobody ever said being a Christian was going to be easy. We're not perfect people. The only one perfect is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one who is sinless. And it's his guide we need to follow. We need to chase after him, to follow him in word, in deed, in thought, in habit. Because our thoughts can become our deeds. And they too can become habits. So if we have evil deeds of thinking the worst of other people... We're going to jump to the conclusion that that's the way they are. And you do not know. We've all messed up. Everyone on the planet. And you must always think this thought. That the Lord God, knowing all of our thoughts, all of them, even the ones that are kept in secret in our hearts, He hears them. He knows them. And he still loves us. Shouldn't that encourage us to get right with him? Shouldn't it encourage us to change our thoughts? You see, sin is often a learned behavior from your parents. Take racism, for example. Racism is a learned thing. You can unlearn racism. You can unlearn hatred and bigotry. You can unlearn it. You just need to do something. Think about it. Put an effort into it pray and think, what would Jesus have me do? Notice our text again. I thought on my ways. 
I thought on my ways. We all need to give more thought to our own ways. Sometimes people are so busy thinking about the ways of others that they have no time to think about their own ways. They forget Matthew 7 verses 3 to 5, which teaches, And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considereth not, considereth not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite! First cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Those are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he knows our thoughts. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5, Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Now God help us do as he did David, to think upon our own ways. But again, David wrote, writes, I thought on my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. David turned. You see that? He turned away and turned towards the will of God. Some are just too stubborn to turn. Some refuse to be bothered. And we see this in the political world, don't we? Many people never pay attention to and study the political issues involved. They let their emotions and ignorance guide their voting. And it's that way with many members of the church as well. The reason they don't turn to the testimony of God's word is that they refuse to be informed about religious issues affecting the church. Baying your, hand, your head in the sand like an ostrich is not going to help anybody. Ignoring the teachings of Jesus to please the prejudices of others is not going to help you. Too many people let their emotions and ignorance lead them down the road to complete apostasy. If we would think on our ways, we'd see that we fall short and realize the need of turning. And that is repenting. However, we cannot turn to the ideas, the theories and dogmas of men. We've already learned that man cannot direct his own footsteps. Therefore, David said in our text, and turn my feet unto thy testimonies. So where do we find the testimony of God? Jesus answers this in John chapter 5 and verse 39. Jesus tells us to search the scriptures. For they are they which testify of me. The scriptures reveal the mind of God to men. The scriptures reveal his mind. Over in Romans chapter 16 and verses 25 to 26, Paul writes, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets. So to turn to thy testimonies. What this means is, is we, means we must turn to the scriptures. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 119 verse 105. And the entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. Psalm 119 verse 130. 
And as we look again to our text, we hear David say, I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. He wasn't making excuses. Yes, Lord, but, 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 no. There's no stopping. There's no, I'm going to negotiate with you. I'm going to give you what I am willing to give you and you're going to be happy with it. That was the attitude of Cain. That's the attitude of so many people in their worship and their service to God. And if God doesn't think like they think, well, you know what they're going to do? They're going to take the Bible and cut it to bits so God does think the way they think. In other words, they're making themselves God. That's exactly what happens when people decide to get rid of God. The atheist doesn't stop believing in God. He makes himself or herself a God. They look in that mirror and they think, oh, you've got it. You're great. You're wonderful. It's the ultimate in narcissism. And for those who are wondering what that word means, narcissism is, it comes from an, it's, it's an, it's a name that comes from an ancient Greek myth where a man called Narcissus fell so in love with his own image, he couldn't pull himself away from it. And he died looking at it. And it describes a mental condition where people are just so self-absorbed they can't think or even, or, or even sympathize with the pain of others. They don't think about others. Everything is about them. You show them a picture of the universe, they're at the center of it. Who's this God person? God is in their image. Instead of us being in God's image. They sit on the throne of their heart instead of allowing God to sit on the throne of their hearts. Remember the Bible heart is our intellect. It's not what I think. It's what he says. When Jesus said, follow me, he meant in thought, in word, in deed, in practice, applying it to our lives in every way that we can follow him into the battle against the darkness that so enslaves humanity. And this self-love this selfishness is so unchristian. It's deeply unchristian. We are to be all about Him, all about the Savior, all about Jesus. All about Jesus, would I know? Isn't that a beautiful song? And teaches us so much. Yes, David said he made haste. So all of us need to be impressed with the need, and it is a need to make haste and delay not to obey God. We need to live every day as though it were the last day on earth for us, because it might be, and one day it will be. Time waits for no one. You never know when your end will come. I've seen it far too many times. And age is not a factor. You see, we need to redeem the time. Friends, brothers, sisters, make use of the time you have to obey your Lord. So please don't delay. Don't delay. Don't wait. But make haste. I'm sure you've heard some people say, I intend to obey the gospel someday, but I'm not quite ready yet. When this happens, I always think of a father telling a child to do something, and the child replies, I will obey you when I get good and ready. It is the most foolish and dangerous thing to delay your service to God. I know a man who waited years to be baptized. Years. And it wasn't because he didn't believe that he needed to be baptized. He knew he did. He knew the scriptures. 
He even told me, he said, I knew that I should get baptized. And I said, well, why didn't you? He said, I was stubborn. I was just stubborn as a mule. I didn't want to prove my parents right. As simple as that. He wanted to do whatever he wanted to do in his life. Like so many others, they want to do all they can possibly do, all the sins they can possibly do until they repent. Are they really repenting? They're really turning away from that lifestyle. It's so sad when somebody knows the truth of God's word, accepts the teachings of Christ, believes that Jesus is the Son of God, and knows he must obey Christ, and yet refuses to because he is just stubborn. James said over in James chapter 4 and verses 13 to 14, Go to now, ye that say today or tomorrow, I will go into such a city and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Life is very fragile. And eternity lasts forever. It will not end. We must bring our thoughts into line with what the Bible teaches. And that means casting aside any vain imagination of humans or any teachings of the devil, any of these false teachings. Everything must be cast aside. We must embrace the commands of Christ to love and to become selfless. For he was selfless. There wasn't a selfish bone in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, now is the acceptable time. Not next week or sometime down the line. Now is the acceptable time. What if you died tonight? You wouldn't have a, a chance to, to become a Christian again. Purgatory doesn't exist. It's a fantasy. There's no second chance after death. The Lord's offering the gospel call as limited time. Limited to how long you have to live on this earth. Limited to how long you have your mind. Because many people leave this world before they leave their body. We need to obey the Lord's commands. However, before we can keep God's commandments, we must know what the commands of God are. The demands learning, this demands learning of the Father, as we read in John chapter 6, verses 44 to 45. See, there are things that are necessary for complete obedience. Turn with me to John 6. Verse 44 to 45, the Gospel account of John, chapter 6. Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, oh, 44 and 45, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. 
we learn of the Father, if we learn of the Son, we learn of His ways and His commandments. You see, there are three things necessary for complete obedience. That is three things which everyone must know. First, we must know what God commands and understand that His commandments are binding. Second, we must know why we are to do what is commanded. Now, one might actually do what God commands and yet not obey God. An example is taking the Lord's Supper. One might actually take the bread and fruit of the vine, yet not know why he has taken it, and thus nullify the service insofar as his obedience to God. The same is true with baptism. If a person doesn't know why he is baptized, he cannot obey God in baptism. I had a friend who went on vacation to Israel, and while he was there, he decided to do all the touristy things. And one of the touristy things was to be baptized in the Jordan River. So we went down into this, into this cage where they would keep them safe. And he got dunked and baptized. And he said, well, you know, I don't actually believe in God, but I'm baptized. So if he does exist, I'm okay. No. <laughs> it's like that old wonderful schoolhouse, schoolhouse rock. Is that what it was called? Conjunction Junction. Believe and be baptized. Believing is not enough. Being baptized is not enough. There's a conjunction there. He just got wet, unfortunately. He's dead now. He died outside of Christ. And I'm very sad about that. And we should all be sad when that happens. It's tragic. It doesn't matter who they are. I've seen far too many people put posts up on the terrible invention of social media saying how happy they were that such and such a person is dead and that they're burning in hell and they're sure they're burning in hell. That's not a Christian attitude. It doesn't matter who they are. I know they might not, they might not like them for political reasons or for some other reasons, but the Bible tells us that those who sin and turn to God, the angels in heaven rejoice. What happens when they don't turn to God and they are lost? It's an awful thing. There should be no boasting about people not being saved. It should be a matter of terrible sadness to us because there is a potential brother or sister that could have been another Saul that became Paul. And even, even if they didn't reach those heights of service, that's a soul that's been lost, a soul that Christ died for on the cross that's been lost. It is a source of sorrow and not of joy. Hell is a terrible thing. We preach it and we teach it not because we think it's great or because we think it's wonderful, but because it's horrible. We're warning people. Get into Christ before you're in the flames. Thirdly, we must know how. And sometimes the how of doing a thing is left to the discretion of man. Yet when the how is revealed, we are bound to do it the way God demands it. So take baptism, for example. That is the how. Is it sprinkling, pouring, or immersion? In Romans 6, verse 3 and 4, and Colossians 2 and verse 12, we read that the how is a burial or immersion in water. To use any other way would invalidate the act. Let us always apply these things, these three things, the what, the why, and the how, 
to everything we do in service to God. Remember, sometimes God does not reveal the why or the how, but when they are revealed, they become as important to obedience as the what. Well, in conclusion, I beg of you to think on your ways. Do not let another person do your thinking for you. They might not even be thinking themselves. Turn your feet onto the testimony of God. Believe in Jesus Christ. Obey him as the Son of God, John 8, 24. Repent of your sins, Acts 17, 30, and confess Christ. Acts 8, 37 and 38 and Romans 10, verse 10. And then be baptized. That is buried in water. As they were in Acts 10, verse 47. In the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Ghost. For the forgiveness of your sins. Acts 2, verse 38. And thus, and thus only, shall you put on Christ. And be baptized unto him. Galatians 3.27 tells us. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ. Have put on Christ. So if you've not been baptized into him. You're not a Christian. You might say you are. But you're not a Christian. But when you do obey the gospel. You become a new creature. Your sins are washed away. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us we're a new creature in Christ Jesus. And this would have happened when you made your thinking right. When you followed after God. May God help you to make, make it a speedy, speedy condition. A speedy, speedy transition into the truth. Far too many surrendered their thinking to others. You can see it. It's a dangerous thing. Never surrender the independence of your mind to another. Not to anyone, not to me, not to the people on TV, not to a politician, not to a celebrity. Surrender yourselves to God. Surrender yourselves to the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Put aside and unlearn all those things which stand in the way of you and going to heaven. Put them aside, cast them away. Pray to God to help you become the Christian that he would have you be which means none of us and all of him. Only when we truly follow Christ in all of our ways and abandon selfishness and embrace the selfless attitudes of Christ will we truly be walking as Christians. Yes, being a Christian is not easy. But thanks be to God we have him to turn to, to put us back in that straight and narrow way when we mess up, and we will mess up. Outside of Christ is hopelessness. And we have seen what has happened in the world when men decide to take the place of God and decided to place their thinking before God's word. We've seen what's happened when God's word isn't good enough for them, so they decide to change the word of God to suit themselves and to suit their doctrines. And we've seen the damage it causes, the division, the destruction of human life. Some church splits are worse than others. As you know, I'm from Ireland. If you want to know about a dangerous church split, go to Ireland. 4,000 dead last round and they're ready to kick off again. 
Just look at the Middle East. Just look at what's happening over there. If we're going to be true Christians, we need to follow the God of love and his ways. Cast aside the things that we would want for our own ambitions and bring them into line with his ambitions, with his ways. That is what makes us different. That is what gives us hope and gives others hope. When they look and they say, these people believe in the word of God, they defend the word of God, they apply the word of God, even when it doesn't suit them. Brethren, it should suit us to serve God. There's no better life than trusting in him. It's a hard life being a Christian. Don't think that it's easy. Too many think once they're baptized, they're saved and they're great, their, their ticket is punched. That's not the end. That's only the beginning. Don't get puffed up with pride. I've actually heard a man, a preacher, say, I know all the Bible, I know everything about it. And I'm thinking, you didn't go to preaching school. <laughs> you didn't have a clue. We'll never know everything about the Bible. Our lives just aren't long enough. Maybe in eternity we learn more than what we learn now. Maybe. But I do know that we are given what we need in order to be right with God. So cast aside your hate. Unlearn your sins. Unlearn your prejudices. Unlearn the things which are getting between you and Christ and being a true Christian. And that way you can walk the path according to the thinking of Almighty God. And if you're worried, if you're thinking, am I going the wrong way? Where do you turn? Turn to the Bible, read it, and say, oh, well, that's what God says. So it is right. God says it, that's it. And it's right whether we believe in it or not. So if you're not a Christian this evening, I beg of you, while yet there is breath in your bones, while yet you can think for yourself to make a decision for yourself, get right with God right now. And if you are and you've wandered away, you've lost your way, you need our prayers or our help, we are here for you. God is here for you. As we stand and sing the song of invitation. Thank you.